Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Well, today we start off a brand new series called Please God. Everyone say, please God. Can I have more, please? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, my little sheep. <laughs> But we start a new series, and I'm, I'm humped about this. And let me, let me just start by asking you a question. Have you ever been so desperately wanting something that you just prayed and prayed and prayed? Ever been in that situation before? Yeah, most human beings have. I've heard of atheists that don't believe in God, been in situations where they're so desperate that they start praying. And, and prayer is one of those things that is... Um, it's something that we reach for in desperate times. And I remember one such situation for myself. This was about 12 years ago when I was still in the Singapore Army. And uh, I was part of the infantry scouts, which meant that um, I had a small team of four of us. We went um, to scout out enemy positions and do surveillance on the road. It sounds really cool. It just means that we walked a lot and carried a lot of stuff. And then we just text back. Um, they've got 20 guys at the front. And that was basically about it. It was terrible. Um, and so we were one, on one of those exercises where we were in the jungle. And we uh, had three missions to accomplish in three days. It was a Wednesday to a Friday. And um, it was one of the most miserable exercises we did because it was drizzling the whole time. And what happens for the rest of the, our battalion is that they get to uh, rest in man-made shelters so they were dry. Whereas because we're scouts, we don't get anything. So we were out in a jungle getting wet for three days. We were cold. It was miserable. And, and we were so happy. Friday came. We had done our part and we were just waiting. We we're just waiting for word from uh, um, the commander that everything was done, that we had accomplished the mission and we were going to be... Um, a jeep would be sent to pick us up and, and basically leave. And what happens on exercises that finishes on Friday is that we get anxious because we normally get our weekends off, but we don't get our weekends off until we do all the stuff that we need to do after an exercise, which means cleaning our weapons. And my weapon was about 1.6 meters long. It was completely made of metal except a couple of parts, and it has been drizzling the whole weekend. That means that it would take me a couple of hours to completely get rid of all the rust that would have formed on this weapon. And on top of that, my shoes would have been completely muddy. I would have had to clean them up and all that kind of stuff. So we wanted to get out of the jungle as quickly as possible. And since we had done our part, there was nothing much we could do but sit there and wait. And um, finally, we got the call to say, we won, all done, someone was going to come pick us up. And so we were all really happy. We were like, yeah, cool. What are you going to do? Going to get KFC, which is our standard thing. Anyone knows what I mean? Like you just had this time where you just worked so hard and you're just like KFC for the win. Um, and so I was already dreaming on my KFC. I could smell it. And we were just waiting and we waited and we waited. We waited for about half an hour and then we called back to our, uh, our platoon commander. He was like, what is going on? Why are we still here? And they said, oh, I know, um, stupid CO." Decided to get the jeeps to do some work for him first before they would come pick us up. So we were like, all right. In the, in the Singapore Army, there's this phrase, you rush to wait and you wait to rush. Singaporean guys know this. Literally, what we do is we will rush our butts off to get somewhere. If not, we will be in big trouble. And in a moment we've rushed, 
We stand there and we wait. We do nothing. We're like, why are we rushing? We could have done this over the span of two hours, but you made us do it in 15 minutes. Now we're all tired and we're standing in a space for the next hour and 45 minutes. We did that all the time. And so we were like used to it. But what made things worse was that God decided that it was time to completely open the heavens. We're in Singapore. When it rains, it rains. I went from being damp to being completely drenched in a matter of 30 seconds. And we were in this jungle. And the rest of the guys were on like concrete floors with a shelter over their heads or they were jumping to those trucks to, to get ready to, to head back. We were literally in the jungle. And we were, we were sitting, just waiting. But it got so heavy that the ground turned from a jungle floor to a river of mud. And the mud reached up to my ankles. And so we decided, I do not want to sit in mud because it's pretty gross. And so we started to stand up. Now, we were talking, as I mentioned. We were, like, getting ready to head off. But the moment the rain started, it was like the morale went from there to, like, there's no measure for this. We were, like, depressed in, in a matter of seconds. And, and um, guys don't really need an excuse not to talk. Um, and so we just went into alone zones because we, we, we were just so demoralized. And, and so we all went into different corners. We were all standing, kind of just waiting. And I remember just, I don't know what it was about that weekend. I just needed to get out. I just needed to get out of the army for that weekend. I was just so tired. just wanted to refresh and not be thinking about the army for a couple of days. And so I started to pray. And I started to pray. I was like, God, I know you can do this. And you, every, any time that you, you, know, you, you say a prayer, maybe you, you think, maybe I'll, I'll butter God up a little bit first. Like, you're really good, God. I, I know that you're really good, God. And so I was like, and you love me. And so I know you want to send a Jeep to me now. Thank you. Amen. And you know, I said that prayer, nothing was happening. And so I decided to up the ante a little bit. I started to go into declaration mode. You, you know what I mean? Any Pentecostals in the house? I was like, God, you will send a Jeep now because you love me and you want this for me. I'm sick and tired of being here. And I started declaring under my breath. There were other guys around, non-Christians, and so I didn't want to sound like a fruitcake talking to no one in the middle of a raining jungle when we were all desperately tired. And, and, and so I started going declaring. And then a few moments later, when nothing was happening, I went into bartering mode. Anyone got into that space before? where you were so desperate that you just start to say, God, if you do this now, I will give you the next two years of my life. I won't date. I won't even look at any girls at all whatsoever. Two years, God. Th three years. Come on. Three years. At some point, I'd probably sacrifice my firstborn child as a, as a bargaining chip. We, it, it was desperate times. It, it literally took an hour and a half of just standing in the rain before the Jeep came. And that memory is burned into my mind. And uh, I just, I, I, I look back at that time and I go, what, what is faith? Because I think in that season of my life, I thought that faith was believing harder. Anyone thought about faith in that way before? God, you can, you will. And it's like you just, if I clench every muscle in my body and I shout a little bit louder, maybe I will chase the doubts away in my mind and in my soul and my heart. And maybe God will then see how pure my faith is and he will do what I want him to do. Anyone thought of faith in that kind of a way before? 
Because I know that I have. I, I, I went on a journey. I've been on a journey of understanding faith. And, and it really hit crisis point about eight years ago. When, and I, I consider that one of my darkest seasons of my life. Things were going on that, that, uh, that really broke me on the inside. And it even got me to the point of doubting whether God was someone I could trust whether God was someone I could continue to have a faith in. And, and I wanted to walk away, but by God's grace, and I put it down to uh, God having placed me in a family that, that knew Him and that continued to speak to me about Him. And so uh, for some reason, that dark season didn't rob me of my faith, but pushed me to find out a little bit more about God. And so I started to dive into the Bible, and I got to this passage in uh, Mark chapter 11, Verses 22, uh, 23 to 24, and it says this, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And in Matthew Chapter 21, there's a parallel passage, which just means that it's the same account, same story, just in a different book of the Bible. And uh, uh, Jesus continues, and he says this, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, most times when you hear someone preach about this, is an encouraging word. It's like, come on, don't doubt, have faith. God's gonna do something. But when I read that in my dark times, I heard condemnation. I heard condemnation because I was praying and believing pretty hard, but nothing was changing. The situation wasn't changing. The thing that I desperately thought that I needed and wanted was not appearing before me. And it caused me to hear this condemning scream that came from some part of my soul that said, maybe you don't have enough faith. Maybe you don't got it. Maybe, maybe you've got too many doubts. Maybe God's not going to listen to you. And those voices continued to speak, and I was, I was worried because it got me into a space where I never doubted that there was a God, but I started to doubt that God liked me or that God cared for me. Maybe there are more important things going on in the world and God has had his attention somewhere else, and, and right now, what I, where I was at didn't really matter to him, and those thoughts were going through my mind, and, and I had to deal with that. And it brought me to another verse in the Bible, in James 4, 1 to 3, it says this, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. And that's when I started to see that maybe faith wasn't simply about believing really hard about something. Maybe there was something more about this whole faith thing that I didn't quite understand. And I'm really glad that over the years, God has started to teach me more about faith. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those people that's like, hey, if you need faith, go see Nate, because 
Nate's not known to have this like gift of faith, if you will, but God's really challenged me to see faith in a really real, practical, amazing way. And that's what this series is about. We want to unpack faith in the way that you can know that each and every single person can have faith. And that faith is the portal, is the doorway to an amazing life that God has got for each and every single one of us. And that's my hope that over the next few weeks uh, that we're going to unpack faith in such a way that's going to help you. And today is more of a setup. Is um, I've broken up this message into part one and part two. Next week's part two. Part two is going to be amazing. God gave me a preview of what He wants to do. And I'm really excited for next week. But I want to set it up right this week. And I'm also kind of excited because uh, as God uh, unpacked this for me to talk about faith, uh, He brought me back to my very first message that I preached as a pastor. It was back at Th- uh, Thornley Tave. And we had a, uh, a cool little space. And it was, I think I've been a pastor for like two weeks. And Pastor Joel was like, all right, your turn to preach. And I was like, okay, this is new. And so I use this very same passage, and, um, and it is cool because I can look back over the last seven, eight years since I preached that word and gone, okay, God, you have definitely grown me. You should be glad that I'm not that young preacher that had no idea what he was talking about, and that I've kind of grown up a little bit, just a little bit. And uh, are you guys ready to go? All right, let's just pray. God, I pray that your word is real to us today. We thank you that your truth is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides a bone and marrow, gets right into our souls. And I know you want to bring a word of encouragement. I know you want to bring a word of truth that we can base our lives on. So we pray that you speak, God, and that we will listen. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Come on, you can say amen. amen. Awesome. A little bit better. Hopefully by the end of this message, you'll be standing and shouting and um, all of that cool stuff to let me know that I'm um, hitting the mark. But we're going to read from Mark 11. And um, uh, we're going to start from verse 12. And this is a really interesting passage. I love this passage. And it says this, Next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leave, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, Underline this, if you will, because it was not the season for figs. It wasn't the right time for that tree to have figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. When I read this the first time, and I was, it was strange because I was like, why is Jesus such a tree hater? Do you guys question the Bible sometimes? Yeah, you know, you read it and it's like, what the heck is going on? That tree didn't have fruit because it wasn't the season for fruit. So what's wrong with it having no fruit? Why did Jesus curse that tree for not having fruit? Pretty weird. Jesus not having a good time. But as we continue reading in Mark, unfortunately for Jesus, It kind of feeds this idea that Jesus is having a really bad day. Let's continue. Uh, Well, I'm not going to read it straight out. I I, want to kind of unpack it because Jesus, Jesus, after cursing the tree, right? So he's he's had a go at a tree. 
he then, he then moves on and he goes to the temple. The temple is the center of Jerusalem. It is amazing space. Beck and I got the privilege of seeing it with our own eyes three years ago. Uh, uh, the build, the, 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 they call it the Temple Mount, and it's a, an amazing space. And, and Jesus goes there. Uh, by all accounts, he probably went to Jerusalem because he wanted to see the temple. It, it was the center of the Jewish faith, and it was an amazing space. But when Jesus gets to the temple... He sees people selling doves and sheep, uh, things that were going to be used for the temple sacrifice. And he saw uh, money changes, people that helped other people get the right currency so that they could pay their temple tax. All sounds pretty legitimate. But what Jesus then does is that he takes a few rope and he twists it into a whip. And then he proceeds to chase everyone out of the temple. He flips the tables over, gets, and he starts chasing them. Uh, uh, I use this picture because I saw the pictures that showed, that depicted Jesus literally whipping people. And I thought that that was a little bit full on, especially we got some under 18s in the room. Um, and so there's just him flipping the table. It doesn't look that spectacular, but hopefully it gives you a sense of Jesus literally went around and he flipped tables. I don't think he whipped anyone. He just did it to scare people and was like, get out. And then Jesus did not allow those people back in the temple. There's one man with a whip. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in, his, in my mind, I'm picturing this, this, this scene of Jesus. And, and I'm thinking that it's one of those like Braveheart moments. And Jesus would have said something. And in my mind, Jesus would have said, oh, how the tables have turned. Because he literally turned the tables. No? Father's Day is in a few weeks. And... Um, some dad jokes will be told. No, Jesus didn't say that. I wish he did, because it would have been really cool. But he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. It goes on to say that the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And then the author does something that stumped me for ages. Because what he then does is that we go back to that fig tree. And it says in verse 20, In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered this and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you curse has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. And this is the verses that I quoted at the start, one of the ones that I found when I was going through a dark season. It says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And this, to me, this, these three passages just confused me. It painted a picture of Jesus that I didn't quite get. And it took me a whole bunch of time to really sit on that and, and, and for God to begin to open up what was going on. I, I was going to Bible college at that time, and one of the things about reading the Bible um, that you can uh, utilize for yourself, and I really love this because it makes it so much richer, but Jewish authors often would take two seemingly unrelated events and they would put it next to each other to juxtapose them and 
because they know that there's a similar principle that is happening in both events. And they put it next to each other so that there's that richness of understanding about that principle. When I thought about that, I was like, there is something going on here between that fig tree episode and the temple episode. Something must be going on. It's a little bit like a Christopher Nolan film. You're kind of like, what the heck is going on? And it's only right at the end that it all comes together. That's how it was like for me when I was reading this. And I started to dig into this and I was like, what is the similar principle that God is trying to teach us here? And then I discovered something that completely blew this thing open. And that is, that fig trees are really interesting. See, fig trees don't have leaves when they don't have fruit. Fig trees only have leaves when they have fruit. Is a penny dropping for you guys? Fig trees. I think I got a picture of a fig tree. Is there? There we go. So you can see like it stands bare most of the time. And then when it has leaves, it's saying, I have fruit. And so Jesus in Mark chapter 11 was attracted to this tree because it had leaves. It was attractive to Jesus because he thought this was going to be a source of food for me. And so he goes and he approaches this tree But he finds out that this tree is deceiving him because it's got leaves but no fruit. Eight years ago, I preached a message. It was called Fig or Figless. And I had to jump over those words about a million times. So are you Fig or Figless? Fig, Fig. So I'm not calling this message Fig or Figless anymore because I am now smarter and wiser. But this tree had no fruit. And then as I was thinking about this, Jesus cursed the tree because it was not fulfilling its purpose. And then I started to think about the temple and what was going on there. See, those people saw an opportunity. When people came to the temple, they were supposed to bring sacrifices. They were supposed to uh, give off their money to help in the, uh, the maintenance and the upkeep of the temple. And what some smart people did is that they, and these were Jewish people, understand that these were people that understood what the temple was for. They understood how things were supposed to run. They understood the importance of worshiping God and and living for God. But in that moment, what they saw was an opportunity to make some money. They sold doves and other sacrifices at the temple to make it easier for people to bring their sacrifices. And chances are, you see, doves are actually uh, the sacrifice of poor people. You can read about this in Leviticus. Uh, they, they are um, supposed to be, um, if you, if you um, are of really low socioeconomic status in Jewish culture, Instead of bringing a whole sheep or a whole calf to, to God as a, as a sacrifice, you bring a dove. And I think that what Jesus saw were people that were manipulating the circumstance in order to make a quick buck. Their purpose 
as Jewish people, were supposed to point people towards God. And they had money changes, which meant that in the temple, they, they were attracting people from all nations that wanted to worship God. And they came to this temple, hearing that this temple was a place that you worship God. And they were finding people creating a marketplace. I believe that the fig tree represents those people. They looked attractive on the outside, but there was no substance underneath. And it's really cool because a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I came across this term that really opened up a whole bunch of things for me. And it's a term called the shadow mission, shadow mission. And how this person explained it is that each and every single one of us have been created by God with a purpose and a mission. It's something that I completely agree with, completely love. A couple of series ago, we were talking about finding your purpose in your life. And, and I really love it because God, if you read through the Bible, one of the main things you should realize is that God, God put you together specifically for a purpose. Do you know that modern day researchers, psychologists, they did a big study on happiness and they found that the one thing that truly helps you find happiness in life is not money, is not love, is not wealth, is not any of those things. It actually is meaning. When a person finds meaning in life, they can truly live a life of happiness. That's what research outside the church, that's what they're finding. And there are a whole bunch of people that are floating around trying to do stuff, but what we've got is a Bible and a God that tells us that there is a purpose and a meaning to our lives. There's a reason why I can wake up every morning, and that is because there is a life that God has given me to live. There are things for me to do. There are opportunities for me to live out a glorious, wonderful purpose. And that is the same for each and every single person in this room. I don't know why you're not getting excited. Because I don't know, maybe you're like, maybe you found your mission, Nate, but I haven't found mine. Well, you know what? Get to it. Find that mission because that is a thing that you're meant to be living for. We are meant to deliberately live our lives with a purpose that God has created us for. But as much as God has given us a purpose, we actually have an enemy. The Bible calls it Satan, a devil, Lucifer. And the devil hates us living out our mission. Because our mission glorifies God. Our mission finds fulfillment, uh, gives us fulfillment, peace, joy, love, all that good stuff. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to sabotage your mission. And so what he, did, what he does is that he stirs up a longing in us for a shadow mission. We can see this in Genesis chapter 3. God had created the world, and then He created Adam and Eve, and then He gave Adam and Eve their mission in life. He said, you guys are supposed to have dominion over the whole earth. You know what that means? That's a pretty good place to be in. You know what I mean? They were naked. They got to eat anything that they wanted. They got to go and do whatever they want. They got to name animals. You're like, you're a pig. You can be elephant, but you're a hippo. You know, you get all this power. And they had this amazing mission to uh, subdue all of creation and to put it under their will. 
But that wasn't enough. The enemy came and he stirred up a shadow mission in Eve saying, don't you want to be like God? Don't you know that God is withholding something good from you? Know that God said, I created all of this for your enjoyment, but now the devil comes and says, no, 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 God is withholding something from you. Wouldn't you want to be like God? And in them a shadow mission appeared. Eve takes a fruit, a bite of the fruit, and we know what happens next. They get cast out of the garden. Their mission was broken. They could no longer live out their mission because they tried to live out a shadow mission. And in the same way that fig tree was meant to give food to Jesus. If I was a tree that had fruit, I wish Jesus would eat off me. That would be one of the most cool things, right? You know, and it's like, who cares if that other person eats my fruit? I want Jesus to eat my fruit. And this amazing mission in that moment to give food to a hungry Jesus, but all he cared about was his leaves. There's another thing that I started to see. And, and, and when you're reading the Bible, another uh, a rule that you can use is called the rule of first mention. Rule of first mention is simply this, that the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it sets a context for the next time that you read about it again. And do you know that fig leaves was actually mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 as well? It's really cool. When Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit, the very next thing that they did is that they realized their nakedness and they took fig leaves to cover their shame. Fig leaves always represents a covering for shame in the Bible. And God began to stir something in my heart when I'm reading this and I'm putting it together with faith, there's something crazy about this story because the fig tree was more concerned about covering its shame than having fruit. And the author of Mark chapter 11 puts it next to a whole bunch of people that were more excited about making a quick buck than they were about glorifying God. Both gave in to a shadow mission. So what has this got to do with faith? What has this got to do with faith? This whole idea of shadow mission and mission and sounds pretty cool, but what has it got to do with faith? Well, God began to speak to me just a few days ago and He said, faith isn't about believing harder. Faith isn't about chasing away doubt. Faith isn't about, I don't know, some kind of willpower on the inside of you. Faith is simply saying yes to the mission of God. That's, that's, as, that's as simple as it is because, because God began to show me that the problem with Christians today and the problem with me is that we are so scared to let go of our shadow mission. We're so scared to step into the more and better life that God has got for us. The mission that brings fulfillment and satisfaction to our lives. We are so scared of that because we are so ashamed of ourselves. 
And so we end up reaching into our shadow mission in an effort to create a space where we feel valuable and worthwhile to community, to the people around us. What faith is, is saying no to those feelings of insecurity, that feeling of having nothing to give, that feeling of worthlessness and saying, God, I don't know what you see in me, but I'm still saying yes to you. So if you take away my fig leaves, if I am uncovered and I'm ashamed in front of you, that's cool because I know that you still got something better for me. Let me bring this into real life for you. As I mentioned, I had a really dark season of my life and that dark season was an accumulation of things that God allowed to build in my life so that he could really speak into me. And, and it was then that I started to see what my shadow mission is in my life. That a whole shadow mission thing is a new thing for me and I'm still thinking and processing it, but looking back, I can see what's going on. See, I believe that God's given me a mission to help people encounter God and to be the best them possible, to live lives on mission and on purpose. That's what I feel like God's created me for. I love sitting with people and, and, and talking about the dreams that God has placed in their life and doing whatever I can to help them out. That's what I love. That's what I want to do. But I've got a shadow mission. And my shadow mission is about me getting as much value and worth from the people around me as I can. See, I live... I live a long time in that space of thinking if, if people will only see me, then I will be a person of value. And as I was a young adult, I started to receive this message in my soul from my shadow mission saying, if I could only get a girl to say, I love you, then I will be a person worth loving. And so I went through my life, instead of living out the mission that God had got for me, I started to live out my shadow mission. I started to think that I am not complete until I get, some, uh, I get a girlfriend, I get into a relationship. And that spanned a few years, and then got to a point where I actually managed to get a girlfriend, which is completely by God's grace, because I was a disgusting human being back then. And, um, and she lasted 10 months. And then she broke up with me, and that brought me into my really dark season because I didn't know how to fulfill my shadow mission anymore. And because I didn't know how to fulfill my shadow mission anymore, I didn't know if I was a person that was valuable, lovable, or worth having around. And that fed into so many broken areas of my life. When I became a leader, I became a leader that wanted people's respect. And I would do things in order to try to earn people's respect. But now looking back, what I see is that I put a whole bunch of fig leaves around me, trying to look like I had something to offer, but desperately, desperately covering the fact that I was feeling so empty and substanceless on the inside. Me saying yes to my shadow mission robbed me of being able to say yes 
to the mission that God had given to me. Me saying yes to my shadow mission robbed me of my security and a love from God and a love from God that would be able to transcend all this nonsense about my worth and my value. You see, what I discovered is that when I started to say yes to God's mission and started saying no to my shadow mission, I found a God that was saying, I love you even though you've done nothing yet. And I value you because I created you. And even before you were born, do you know that I was pursuing you? I was setting things up so that I would be able to speak into your life. And, and, and he started to unpack things and, and he showed me in the Word of God how my mission, my mission is doable, not because I've got something to offer, but because God's created me for the very mission, that I can stand in front of people and, and talk to them about God, that I can help people discover the value and worth in their lives, not because I've got some amazing foresight, but because God's created me for it, and He saw fit for me to fit into His grand purpose and His scheme. My value and my worth can't come from people, because people come and people go. They will come for a season, and they will go after a season. They will try to, to, to do something in me, but they will never be enough. That's what I discovered in my shadow mission, that people will never be enough, but when I came to God, I discovered a love so great. I discovered a value in my life. Today, I still fight against my shadow mission. That's why I tell dad jokes. Get you to like me. But I've discovered that the more I say yes to the mission of God, the easier it is to say no to my shadow mission. I'm not caught up in a cycle of comparison anymore. I'm not caught up thinking, am I going to make it? I'm not caught up, did, uh, uh, are people proud of me? Are, are, are people, do people like me? Do people love, I, I don't care about that anymore because I've got one and the most important one that could ever say I love you and that's Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what faith is? Faith isn't about you having the willpower to continue to say prayers of petitioning God. Faith is about saying, God, I don't know what I've got. I don't know what's inside of me, but you see something, and so I'm going to say yes. Now, can I have a, just a couple of moments just to talk to parents for a, for a second? Because as I was preparing this, God put something on my heart, and I think it's really important that us as a church hear this. Um, if I can talk to parents, you see, I... I God began to put on my heart that the most important thing that you can do as parents is to ensure that your child never has to say yes to their shadow mission. I think that we are living in a world and having been a youth pastor for many years, I've seen so many young people desperately craving people's attention and care and love because at home, at home somehow, the parents haven't helped them to say yes to their mission. They've, they've, they've grown up with this understanding that I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. And I don't know what it is, but dads, can I talk to you for a moment? Dads, I think that you are so important in this process. You represent our heavenly father to your child. And if you don't express your pride and your love in your child, it's going to end up where they are needing to fulfill a shadow mission 
in order to find that love and acceptance. Come on, dads, we need you. We need you in today's world. The stats are showing us that dads are not caring as much anymore. They, 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 they don't know how to care. And maybe it's just a product of generation upon generation of, of men not knowing how to express uh, uh, value and, and worth and love. Uh, but we can do something about that. We, we, we can be a generation where dads know how to say, I'm proud of you. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Not because of what you bring to the table. It's not some kind of transaction that we're doing here. I'm proud of you because God's given you to me. I'm proud of you because of what God has placed in you. And I'm going to call out those things. You know, we have a generation of children who know that they have been created for a mission and a purpose. And that God's already put those things in place in their life to fulfill that mission. We're not going to have as many people living out shadow missions in their life. It's a tough world. My parents showed amazing amount of love and care for me, but for some reason I still went down a path of trying to fulfill a shadow mission. And I think the pull of the shadow mission is powerful, but together we can create a culture where the mission is always put in front of people. The option of living a life of fulfillment and purpose is always there. Next week, we're going to unpack a little bit more about the shadow mission and about what I'm calling shadow faith. And it's going to be really practical. But this morning, as I was preparing this message, I really sense that God wants to do a healing work in people. We can get the band up this morning. I don't know what it is about, I don't know what it is about, about insecurity that, that grips us all. I don't know what it is about needing to cover ourselves up that every single Christian, non-Christian, every single human being tries to do. But I believe that the the real problem is that we don't know how much God loves us. We don't know how much God cares for us. We think God can only be proud of us if we've done something. If that's the case, Jesus would never have gone to the cross. Jesus would never have died for your sin. You know, some of you are seated here and you've had people speak words over you. So come on, you're, you can do better. So why are you so lazy, broken, whatever it is? And you got to a place where you're kind of thinking that that's how God sees you. That's not how God sees you. God doesn't care about what you've done. He only cares that you understand that He's already died on the cross for your sin. You've got a future. You've got a mission. You've got a purpose. As a church, I hope that we can help you along your journey to living out that very purpose, that very mission.
but the starting point is you knowing your worth and knowing your value. I love the song Amazing Grace that we were singing this morning. And when it hits the chorus, it says, I can see it now. I can see the love in your eyes. What do you see when you see God? Do you see one that condemns? Do you see one that hates? Do you see one that is disappointed? Because when God looks at you, those are not the eyes that He uses. The eyes that God uses is one of love. I love that the Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is one of the most beautiful things that I ever heard in my life, that I don't have to work to pay for my sin any longer. You gotta realize this, there are gonna be some people that tell you you're not good enough and that you gotta try harder. And yeah, there's a journey that we're on and there are things that we need to do, but when it comes to God, He's not asking you to try harder. He's, he, he's just saying, I've, I've done that. I've already accomplished that. And so this morning, I do want to give people the opportunity to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior in their lives. Some of you are thinking right now that I'm not ready yet to receive Jesus because you're thinking I'm not, I don't have it all together. And you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to have leaves to cover the fact that you got no fruit. It's simply what it is. And God doesn't care about your leaves. God doesn't care about your state right now. He just cares about the fact that He's created you for a mission and a purpose. And so if we can get everyone just to close your eyes for a moment. We are going to say a prayer together. I'm going to lead you in this. And if this is you, if you really want Jesus in your life, can you just repeat this prayer after me? You don't have to shout it out. You just have to speak it out. The Bible tells us that we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. That day salvation is yours. That's as simple as it is. And so I'm going to lead you in this prayer right now. If that's you... Hold on to it, repeat it, believe in it. Dear Father, I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short. But I know that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. So I invite you in. Be my Lord and my Savior. Show me the life that you purpose me to live. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.